0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Marketsmith. Today is May 27th, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Paris, and today we have two special guests on the show. They are the co-founders of O'Shares ETF Investments. Our first guest is Connor O'Brien. Connor is the CEO and president of O'Shares ETF Investments. And our second guest is Kevin O'Leary. Kevin is the chairman of O'Shares ETF Investments, and you may recognize him from ABC's Shark Tank and know him as Mr. Wonderful. Gentlemen, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon.
0: On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current market, the amazing growth trends that are happening in the world right now, and then we will also talk about O'Shares exciting internet ETF. Let's just uh, quickly get into the current market. The market is in an uptrend. It's been a volatile couple of days, but the market and stocks continue to hang in there. So, guys, let's start off with your thoughts on the market and also really the larger environment because it it is a pretty much unprecedented environment that we find ourselves in.
1: Well, I'll, yeah, i will give you a quick comment and then over to Kevin. The, the, um, the market basically responded incredibly quickly to the Fed's stimulus policies and then the rest of the policy out of Washington and a uh, massive amount of liquidity put into the market essentially helped float all boats. It helped cover payrolls for lots of companies. Yeah. People pay their rent, pay their expenses, continue shopping. And so that has basically created a sense of confidence. And um, Bill Gates recently said, hey, what else are people going to buy? stocks with so much money floating around are a pretty attractive investment. And with interest rates so low, it makes stocks more attractive for an additional reason. So those are some of the reasons that we see that uh, stocks in general are high. Uh, Kevin has added perspectives.
2: Yeah, I I want to make an observation about um, the unintended consequences of what the Fed has done. Uh, I I take it back to the PPP. Uh, I have 51 private investments, so I was very active in In working on the first round, 350 billion, and then the second round as well, and and what happened? You know, the 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 actual deal is the size of a telephone book, but essentially, what it says is we look at the payroll of a company that's applying for the PPP on Feb 15th, and we look at it again June 30th, and if those numbers are equal, the loan is forgiven or potentially forgiven. Okay. Um, And and in in doing that, it changed the entire psyche of every small and mid-sized business in America that was applying for those loans by the millions. My strategy with my companies, along with, I'm sure I'm not the only person doing this, was to offer employees prior to the PPP deal to simply say, look, we're gonna furlough half of you and try and keep the DNA of the business intact with the other half, or the other option would be cut everybody's salary by 50%. Um, And most companies opted for option two. And then we read the bill and realize that we need to keep everybody at full salary to get the application for the free helicopter money. And where do we go? Where do we go to finance that? The landlords. All across America that weekend, it happened nine week nine weeks ago. We just told every landlord and every rate, we're not going to pay you during this period because we need the capital until we get the helicopter money. And it has probably damaged um, real estate for the first time in 25 years because you're going to find a lot of office space and a lot of retail space as a result sectorally for me i was overweighted 30 percent of real estate i reduced it down to eight until okay. this shakes out
0: now t- talking about that real real estate now it's also what we've seen is everyone's starting to work from home right and at at least from investor business daily we're all working from home and we found that we're actually more productive at home and so that could at least with the commercial real estate it's going to be interesting to see what that happens to commercial real estate over the next few years
2: it's not just commercial real estate companies that have lost complete access to retail have realized they can go online buy licenses from Shopify, DocuSign, WIC, you name it, all of these companies that empower you to sell direct to your customer, and in this period have discovered that they can really accelerate online sales in a way they didn't anticipate. So I think two things are going to happen. At least in my portfolio, we're going to try and carve out 5 to 7% new cash flow by cutting back on all of our office space and offering people, we think 15 to 20% of the employees, will take the option to work at home to raise kids, take care of an elderly parent, or they just don't want the commute. And we'll still keep some office space, but I've already informed our landlords we intend to cut back dramatically. And I'm just one tenant. I can imagine this is happening by the millions, and I think it's going to permanently impair for at least three years commercial real estate and some low-grade retail space. If I have a marginal store, I'm not gonna open it again. I don't don't need to. I'm gonna go online.
1: And there's so many big companies. So Kevin's got experience with 50-plus companies in which he's an owner. There's some really big companies that have already announced that what you said, Arusha, that people are productive. People are working well from home. They enjoy the extra time that they save from avoiding a commute. And so some companies have announced that they're going to actually cut 50% of their office space and reduce people's expected days of visit in the office substantially. So then think about the retail. A lot of retail is surrounding these office uh, nodes, with less people. And so people will be actually at home. Instead of doing their retail shopping You know, on a, on a lunch break or similar, they'll be doing it online. So we do see not only the, the pressure on real estate, but a huge boom for all kinds of e-commerce businesses, internet service businesses, entertainment online, working from home type of support systems, it's going to transform the economy, and uh, it's definitely going to create winners and losers.
0: Absolutely, and, and you're going to see that acceleration now. Even with uh, telemedicine, a lot of people might not have tried it before, but over the, the last uh, couple of months or so, they may have decided, hey, let's just stay at home. I can talk to the doctor for 10, 15 minutes, uh, have them take a look at an ailment, and get a quick prescription.
2: No right. question. I mean, I, th- I think what, what's happened here, and it's been noted by many people, we've accelerated by at least three years what was going to happen anyways. In, in Where I am quarantined here in South Beach, Florida, um, many of the people that are my neighbors are elderly, and they have learned how to use their cell phones to order groceries. They were never going to do that. Wow. They have now found it so efficient that they're probably, on, a, on the margin, going to do it 20% more than they ever did before. And that's people in their 80s. And, and, and I think, you know, they, they were assumed to never go online. Well, they're online now and that genie's left the bottle. It's not going back in.
0: Right. And it, it always was interesting to me that with just e-commerce and just the retail e-commerce, uh, it was only like maybe 10% of just overall retail sales, but that's accelerated right over the, the last couple of months, maybe up to 20%. Uh, and now people are starting to get hooked, as you mentioned.
2: I, I think it's a little higher. higher. I think we, we went in at 15.2 percent ex-auto, and I think we're at 24 percent now. Only four months later, it's a remarkable change in the psyche of how people are going to buy. This is going to. This is this will change people's behavior and enhance profitability for many companies selling direct to customers.
1: E-commerce companies have just reported fantastic e-commerce retail sales growth. So, Rucha, your numbers are. Are right if you include autos, or if you do what Kevin did, just exclude autos and gasoline from the numbers. It's, it's a higher uh, percentage of the market, 16% last year. Probably already now gone up by 50%, and meaning one and a half times the 16. So that puts us at 24% and probably growing. Uh, continued strong clip
0: yeah no, uh, it, it it is pretty remarkable. Now let, let's talk about uh, O shares, O shares, ETF investments and and why this was created. Now you, you originally you guys originally had a, a fund before, right? Uh, why did you shift to the ETF space and and kind of what was the the larger goal of of creating this ETF company?
1: I guess there are two reasons. One is the general market reason, and the other one that Kevin can speak about very specific, the family wealth. For a market reason, you see more and more money going to ETFs for very good reasons and less and less going to mutual funds. Mutual funds were a great invention 30, 40 years ago, but if you actually look at them closely, they're not as cost-effective or tax-effective, and humans make emotional decisions, whereas if you have ETFs, they're tax-effective, cost-effective, and they're generally run by rules, either a rule to own everything in market cap weight, which are the first set, or rules designed Uh, such as we have done, to achieve specific goals of, in our case, reducing risk and maintaining proper full-sector diversification. So that's why money likes ETFs, and our step was to create a more advanced set of ETFs, still run by rules, still with the cost-effective, tax-effective structures, uh, but designed for those different investment objectives of uh, better risk control. And Kevin's got a great story, I think, that would inspire a lot of people on uh, how to manage family wealth using ETFs.
2: Yeah, you know, if you look at the the inflow of institutional capital, um, CalPERS, for example, the CEO, recently said two weeks ago that her bogey is 7% a year, 7% this year, 7% next year. Uh, Typically, um, the use of, you know, you would have gone 50% equities and 50% fixed income, but with, with bonds now, particularly government bonds, which are the core of any mandate, that's an institutional one,
3: you're,
2: you're, you're talking about 100 basis points, so you're taking a lot of duration risk. So I think there's going to be a, a real move to use equities to try and achieve that six to 7% distribution. And so, in each, let me give you an example. In an ETF, a core holding for me is, I distribute 6%. That's what, that's in, in, my, in, my, in my structure, that's what I do. So I have to make it every year. And if I uh, tiptoe through the S&P 500, there's about 130 companies that have really strong balance sheets that are unlikely to cut dividends over the next 24 months. And so that's an actively managed ETF. That's OUSA. It's one that Connor helped design. And I own a lot of that because I need that as my core income strategy. So you can compare the performance of that against any dividend strategy. It looks for the highest quality balance sheets out of the S&P 500, of which there's really only about 130 that, you, that I feel safe with. And that is what that does. And it, it provides me, you know, almost a 3% dividend yield plus the potential of 300 basis points of capital gain. And I think it'll do better than that next year because the Fed is helicoptered in so much cash. And, and where does it go? It's going to go into... If you're worried about inflation, you want companies that have pricing power, and you're going to find that amongst the S&P 500.
0: So let's get into uh, now your your other ETF, which which is uh, really interesting. The ticker symbol is OGIG, and and this is concentrating on Internet and e-commerce. And obviously, as we're seeing now, two huge trends – Talk a little bit about the the goals of, of this ETF and, and what types of companies you're looking to fill with this fund.
1: Well, the, the world of technology stocks includes what's called old tech and new tech. And a lot of people think of the tech stocks as the ones they want to own as Amazon and Facebook and Netflix and Google and so on. And they'd probably be shocked defined that if they looked at a typical tech sector index or tracking fund, that those stocks are not in there. Right. Those typical, those, those historic uh, technology sector tracking funds do own a lot of nice companies that are great. They're part of the technology space, but they're the ones that have been around for decades, and their growth rate has turned into very conventional market-like growth rates. Actually, about 8% revenue growth the same as the S&P 500 stocks in general. So they are not higher growth than the S&P 500. So there was no great answer. When people said, hey, what what are the best tech sector funds? When you look at them, there aren't any, weren't any. And the, the sector definitions changed so substantially about 12 months ago, where some stocks like Google and Facebook got taken out of technology and put into communication services or consumer discretionary. So, to build the answer to the question, you had to go to all the large cap stocks in the world, select the subsectors that give you what you want e commerce stocks, internet service stocks, stocks with great balance sheets, profitability, and revenue growth. And that is what you end up with in OGIG. Fantastic large cap stocks with great revenue growth and all the names that people are asking about Amazon and Alibaba and Google and Tencent and Microsoft and Facebook, as well as Zoom that we're on now and right. uh, Netflix and many, many others.
2: I I, I wanna take a more pragmatic look at it. Across the companies that I'm an investor in, um, what's happened to us is as we've, the typical company might've been 50% retail, 40% Amazon, 10% direct on their own to their customers. All of a sudden in 48 hours, all the retail stores shut down and they have to pivot. And the first thing they do is go back to existing customers on their own website and say, how do I empower myself to reach out to them to replace that? And if I just go down the list in, in terms of, and I, I, you know, I suggest to people, you can go online and look at this index, OGIG, just open it up, because we, we disclose the actual companies are in this, 50 plus companies, and their weightings, you can either buy the ETF OGIG or just buy the stocks. I mean, we're just giving it, from my point of view, understanding what these companies are. They empower your typical company, wherever it is, it can be you know, domestic or international, but I'm just looking at the names here. Of course, it has all the fangs, but there's so many other companies internationally, Tencent, Alibaba, Shopify, I can't tell you how many licenses I bought from those guys in the last 90 days, Pindudu, Zoom, CrowdStrike, DocuSign, MongoDB. These are just some of the ones that JD.com, yep. RingCentral, Zendesk. Alara, Wix.com, they empower companies, and their growth is is geometric. That's what's happening. They're growing, and these are not the stay-at-home names. This, this is not blasting aliens you know, with video games. These are companies that empower the direct relationship with a customer all around the world, and who doesn't want that when you're running a business because it's the highest margin sale? Very, very interesting index because it's been accelerated by probably three years as a result of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, and, and for, for investors, as Dale, these are all the stocks that have been coming up on our screens and uh, have the huge growth potential. The current market is in an uptrend. We potentially could be starting a new bull market, but make sure you manage your risk and, of course, understand your time horizon. Let's take a quick break, but when we return, we are going to talk about the larger trends that are going on in the world today. We'll be back. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the US. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. Who has the time to go through all of these stocks and find the very best ones?
3: Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like Marketsmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button. You just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the growth 250.
0: 50. Yeah. And the growth 250 50 is the first list that I go through on the weekends.
3: Yeah. It's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the breaking out today, stocks near a pivot, and then the blue dot list, right? Which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists, you're gonna come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect, Mark Smith saves you time and
0: makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to investors.com slash podcast 2020. Conor O'Brien and Kevin O'Leary are with us on investing with IBD sponsored by Marketsmith. Okay guys, let's get in more into these larger trends uh, that are happening in the world today. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about like so, some of the, the subsectors that are going on. And uh, Kevin, you mentioned a little bit about this and OGIG has a number of these stocks in their fund, but it's the, the play at home stocks, right? Which uh, it is accelerating, uh, but there is this larger trend of People are playing more and more video games. There's a lot of esports, and your ETF is uh, capturing some of these stocks.
2: It's capturing some of them, but what we're focusing really is e-commerce generally because the stay-at-home blast alien sector probably slows down once people go back into a more normal um, mode of operations. But I don't think the growth of e-commerce, that genie's left the bottle, as I said earlier, and it's never going to And so we've tried to capture by revenue growth, the largest large cap growers globally inside of OGIG. We don't think that trend stops. We think it's going to be intact for the next three to four years. In fact, it may go longer because, you know, what I find is people's behavior is changing in terms of how they purchase product. They've been forced to stay at home and order it, and now they're liking the outcome, and they're going probably on the margin to be using less retail and more online not just here domestically, everywhere around the world because it's been the same problem. So we think we capture that trend in OGIG. I think the other interesting aspect of, you know, investors is to think about what happens to our economy when you helicopter $5 trillion out of the sky into the economy. You know, we have not suffered the fate of inflation for decades, but now for the first time, this is unprecedented, maybe there is inflation risk in putting so much liquidity in the market, and it might show in the next couple of years. If that's true, you 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 probably don't want to be long duration. And in other words, I mean utilities. They don't have a lot of growth. That's probably not a sector you want to be too long. REITs, I've already talked about real estate. I really don't want to be there. Banks, not loving them because they own all the mortgages on all their real estate. And until we understand the impact of what you talked about earlier, how many people are not gonna go back to commercial real estate. I'll give you an example. I was just you know, in a green room talking to one of the large um, owners of office, AAA office space, cities like Boston and New York. The elevator shafts in some of those buildings hold up to 60 people. Even after the vaccine, and hopefully it comes soon, arrives, I think it's gonna be hard to pack 60 people back into an elevator in November in New York just because, and so what they're thinking about is a capital expenditure to create um, tubes, little lockers where you are inside an elevator but in your own unique space with your own air duct um, to go up to the 75th floor, and then after you leave it, it gets hosed down with disinfectant. How many people are really gonna wanna do that? I'm not in that group, and so I'm thinking on the margin the capital expenditures, also the men's rooms and women's uh, you know, toilets have to be changed in terms of density. There's a tremendous amount of CapEx. So you have to start thinking about the normalization. You know, Real estate's been a fantastic asset for 25 years. Probably gonna have to give some back now. The cap rate on a primo Boston high rise is four and a half. It's probably going to six and a half. I don't know that, but I'm certainly not gonna wait around to find out. I'm gonna wait and see. And the bank that provided that mortgage, well, not so good for them. So I'm, I'm just thinking the sectors you wanna be in are the ones that are the America 2.0, that's gonna be far more efficient. I think the silver lining of the pandemic is so many companies are gonna take advantage of 20% of their staff staying at home, cutting back on the cost of real estate, you know, providing more efficiencies. We're all admitting we're working harder because we like working and we're at home and we're enjoying ourselves. I'm getting two more hours out of each of my employees in lockdown, I'm, I'm saying don't come back to the office ever. <laughs> <laughs> it, this is fantastic. So I, I, I think that at the end of the day, there's a lot of change and you wanna be sensitive to that. And we try and capture that theme in the quality of the companies that we have in our portfolios. Cause you know, I'm, I'm very worried about distributions cause that's half of how I make my 6% a year. So OUSA, I talked about that. OUSM is the mid-cap, small-cap that provides um, the highest quality of the Russell 2000. And OGIG, we're very pleased with the performance of that. It's up over 24% year-to-date in a time when you think no stock would advance. But these are the companies that empower e-commerce.
1: Rufi, you were asking about the the entertainment side of what's called online, stay-at-home, etc., and that is part of what's in OGIG. Mm -hmm. I'll just give you a sense of the five major categories covered by OGIG and also explain briefly how this will evolve essentially dynamically through active rules to capture new sectors as they they evolve. So for sure we have the digital entertainment category covered with Netflix and many, many other companies that are growing very, very fast in the whole at-home digital entertainment world. Digital advertising is booming. It's one of the reasons Facebook's doing so well, surprising a lot of people. Kevin's 50-plus companies are all using a lot more Facebook Geolock advertising, et cetera. The whole ad space has evolved to the point where, surprising to many people, the traditional ad spend on radio and TV is now smaller than online. Online is now getting the the dominant majority share. Then there's online retail. It's the third category. Fourth category is all a range of cloud services. That's a business-to-business category where it's actually not driven by the consumer. It's driven by businesses using the Internet and the cloud more and more and more. And it's no longer just Amazon Web Services. There are so many other companies that are becoming fast-growing players in cloud. And then finally, all of the workflow, data, and collaboration and cybersecurity companies that are a second category of business-to-business type revenue-generating companies. So it's quite diverse. And the most interesting, exciting thing about it is every time we do a portfolio reconstitution, a new index run, it's so exciting to see the new companies that are discovered by the rules-based system. The system looks at thousands of companies worldwide, screens them down to the ones that are in the right subsectors, screens further for those that have good balance sheets, profit margins, and revenue growth. And lo and behold, every recon you see another five, 10, or more really neat companies that are large cap, fast growing, want to own them. And they end up automatically in OGIG. And so when Kevin was saying shopping list, go look at all the stocks, you can choose which ones you want to buy. For sure, people can do that. And I believe the IBD audience, uh, at least historically, likes doing some stock picking. Right. Here's a quick thought for them. Yeah, use our list as a shopping list. And if you love some of the ideas, go for it. Do what you think you want to do. However, if you want a very tax-effective long-term investment and you like the stocks that are in the investment, the ETF, you'll find that as the portfolio is changed, selling some of the stocks to replace, be replaced with other newer, faster-growing stocks, it's very tax-effective. So that investor doesn't get the gain tax that they would if they owned it directly on their own in their portfolio. It's a huge advantage for portfolios like this where the stocks do need to change. So basically it's a a quarterly rebalance, a semi-annual, full recalculation.
0: Okay. So, so every twice a year, you're going running your screens and replacing some of them and adding some of the newer ones that that might be accelerating growth. Exactly. And then the turnover question people ask, well, what is it? It's around 20 to 30% of the portfolio.
1: However, unlike a mutual fund where the turnover selling for cash creates a tax consequence for the investor the way ETFs are structured, all of them, virtually all of them, they avoid the tax consequence. So it's extremely tax efficient for the investor. The stocks that are going out are essentially swapped exchange for the stocks that are going in. Very, very tax efficient.
2: What I like about it is I'm, I'm kind of prohibited by the rules of my trust that I can't really own more than a 5% weighting in any one name. So these are not market cap driven. So I don't have four names that are 40 or 50% of the index when they get over 5% or 6%, they get trimmed back on a quarterly basis, which really matters to me. I need diversification. And there's many covenants that others and investors have, for example, I don't want more than 20% in any one sector or more five or 6% in any one stock. And, And what I like about actively managed ETFs like these, that's what they do. They protect you against concentration.
0: And, and so, uh, what, one, one other thing here with the, the ETFs is that the OGIG should just be one part of your portfolio, right? You're Maybe you're having 5% of OGIG and maybe 5% yeah. in, in one I of the mean, other ETFs.
2: I use the indexes that I've had a hand in creating, but my largest yeah. thing is in OUSA, which is the core of very large cap, high quality dividend paying stocks. And I feel comfortable that those names are not going to be the ones – uh, it's, it's a subset of the S&P, it's, it's the highest quality names, as far as I'm concerned, out of the 500, so about 130 names there. I also have uh, a 20% weighting in O, you know, in, in, in mid-cap OUSM, and I also have 20% in OGIG for growth, because OGIG is, uh, I mean, that, that, that thing is <laughs> done very, very well. So I'm very happy with that, because it's, it's on trend for what's happening all around the world. It's a combination. I have tremendous diversification. So I use, and, and, and I also have some Europe because I think Europe is incredibly cheap OEUR and it's the same kind of rules-based, high quality names. I use ETFs now instead of having stock pickers. I still have bond pickers on my fixed income side. Okay, so okay. I have individual managers, but not, not for, for equities. I, I, I don't want an emotional purchaser of a, of a stock. I just want the rules, very disciplined, diverse, and I use ETFs because they're so tax efficient.
1: Let me just mention one quick oh, thing sure, uh, sure. for your audience on ETFs. It's actually a complex enough field and a set of decisions for an investor to make without having to get into stock picking. And what we find, a lot of our clients are institutional firms that essentially make it their full focus of their business mm-hmm. to design ETF portfolio strategies. And they'll use a blend of, 10 or more ETFs in order to create the right risk return profile for their clients. And it's a challenge. They've got big teams, sophisticated people and systems, and it's a full, full full-time job. And for sure, individuals who love stocks, whatever their favorite stocks, can still own some stocks directly to blend in with the set of ETFs that they've chosen but it's already demanding enough to figure out how much should I have as a mix of fixed income and equities. And once I get to equities, how much should be large cap, small cap, global internet stocks, like OGIG. That's also a challenge. And it keeps people's lives simple, tax effective, well-invested. If they can just do that part well, and sure, have a bit of fun if that's what you like to do with a little bit of money, uh, picking some stocks. And we think actually our ETFs give you a great shopping list. That's a, a separate idea that Kevin brought up. So I'll turn it back to you to ask questions or ask Kevin questions about Europe.
0: Uh, yeah, so well, let's take a quick break and then we can get into to Europe and, and Kevin's thoughts on that. But remember that there, these growth trends, there are many, many growth trends that are happening in the world today. So you just want to figure out a way how you can benefit from them. So coming up next, we'll discuss more and hear Kevin's thoughts on Europe and also hopefully get into a, a few ideas. So stay tuned. I'm here with Scott St. Clair, and Scott is one of the senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, we've both been doing this for a long time, and we know that investment research takes a lot of time. There are so many factors that you want to look into to try to figure out that whether this is a stock to buy or not. Quarterly earnings, huge sales growth, hey, are institutions buying it? The list goes on and on.
3: Yeah, it's a common question. I hear it all the time. I don't have time to to do this work. So you don't have to spend that much time. If you have a tool like Marcus Smith, we do a lot of that work for you. Right there on the chart, earnings, sales, group strength, institutional sponsorship, like you just mentioned. Right. It's all there in the chart, so it allows you to make a decision much easier.
0: Yeah, and the beauty is that we have in-house analysts that go through the SEC filings. They pull out those numbers, and they put it right on the Markets chart And all you have to do is analyze them.
3: Yeah, I couldn't imagine having to go to the SEC website and look at the income statement, etc. That sounds like a lot of work.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that would take hours and hours. And in that time, you can go through hundreds of stocks and find the best ones. So don't miss out on a big winner, because you don't have enough time to research it for more information go to investors.com slash podcast 2020 we are back with kevin o'leary and connor o'brien on investing with ibd sponsored by marketsmith okay so let's uh, kevin let's first get into europe what are you uh seeing there europe hasn't really done that well, well for a little while now right
2: Yeah. Definitely. And Good. I mean, you know, if, if the way I look at it is you're, you're trying to find, you're trying to capture um, significant trend changes in the economy. It's very hard to pick individual stocks, but when you see a massive change towards how people's purchase behavior is adapting to the fact that they're concerned about, you know, their health, et cetera, which is, it's, of course, everybody said this, it's unprecedented, but, Let's take a company um, like Shopify, I'll give you an example how we've used it. Let me give you the subtleties of a a typical company I said earlier is 50% retail, 40% Amazon, 10% direct. And Amazon is a tremendous partner for me. I mean, I've got literally 40% of my portfolio of private investments going through their system. The only problem with Amazon is that they do not give you your customer. So you don't know who they're selling to and that's fair, because they're keeping that for themselves, but that doesn't mean I don't want a direct relationship with some of my customers, and the the company that allows me to do that is Shopify, so they do not put advertising on their, they have a logistics business they've just announced, they've also announced a partnership with Facebook, so let's say typically I have a business doing, you know, 10 million a month, and 40% of that, four million, is going through um, Amazon, and, you know, five million of it is going through uh, retail. And then I've got a million I'm selling direct. Well, now I'm selling almost four or five million direct to my customers. And I'm using Shopify because they don't put branded sticker on the box. I'm geo-locking my ads. What's really, the reason Facebook's hitting new highs, you should understand, and we own that in OGIG, obviously, and I own Facebook too, is that if I had a store in Tallahassee, and it was doing 200,000, and it was servicing a 60-mile radius, and it's been shut down. I just go to Facebook, buy a geolocked ad for Tallahassee for a 60-mile radius and say, store's closed, but I can sell you direct from my warehouse in wherever it is. And just reach out to that customer base on a geolocked ad, and guess what? It works, and I use Shopify to ship to them. Well, I've done that a thousand times in the last, you know, and and so I'm using Google, I'm using Facebook, I'm using Shopify, I'm using DocuSign, and I'm thinking to myself, do I really want to open that store up in Tallahassee in that B-grade mall I'm in? Maybe not. Maybe when this is over, no. I'll just sell direct to my customers because they seem to be buying from me. That's a real case study. So if you're the guy owning the Wreath that owns the Tallahassee B grade strip mall, I'm not feeling good for you, but I sure am feeling good for Shopify, Facebook, DocuSign, wick.com, all the tools I've used to create that direct relationship. And you find those in OGIG.
1: So here's what it's done for Shopify as one example. And I can mention a few others. You know, Shopify is a business to business service. Their customers are merchants that sell stuff. And they give them a turnkey system to do online what Kevin was describing. They handle the logistics, the payment system, everything. They are the outsourced everything for these businesses. Their revenue growth rate for the last 12 months is about 50% revenue. You have companies in the S&P 500 that would love to have earnings growth of any number right now. But historically, it's been you know, in that sort of 6%, 8 10% level. So Shopify is growing at a tremendous rate. The second thing to keep in mind about Shopify and many other business-to-business services, once the customer signs up with them, they're not going to leave. Mm-hmm. They want to be part. They want to have that e-commerce support system for a long, long time. So they end up getting software-type revenue for an extremely long period of time. I'm just going to drop a few other names because I know your audience likes names, and they can go look at them. These are all in. Ogig. These are all business-to-business collaboration style or similar software and uh, B2B service companies. You got RingCentral. Revenue grows over 30 percent. Atlassian, collaboration workflow management. Revenue over 30 percent. SmartSheet, another collaboration service provider. Revenue growth over 50 percent. ServiceNow, same thing. Revenue growth over 30 percent. So it's really across. All these stocks that make it into the portfolio of OGIG. It's also evidence of this mega trend of more and more corporate spending on efficiency gains and on uh, workflow tools, stay at home, work from home trends can accelerate all that. And and actually, I'll, I'll ask or uh, mention a question that Kevin was asked recently about these mega trends and efficiency gains and how we think the American economy is going to come out of all of this. And Kevin, you were calling it uh, America economy 2.0 tell people your thoughts on that
2: i think one of the reasons the market is so buoyant and resilient is it sees the efficiencies i think that this year is a write-off uh, everybody knows that the next two quarters will be horrific but it's looking beyond this you got to remember sars is 11 years old and the, the advance in medical science artificial intelligence uh, artificial intelligence using that as a development tool for medicines pharmaceuticals therapeutics vaccine development there's a hundred plus companies working on a vaccine. I think there's a confidence that there'll be some kind of solution in the next 18 to 24 months. But, and, and this is just for this particular uh, you know situation. But as a result of being forced, ev- not just small companies, every company being forced to work remotely, and I think you made reference to it earlier, all of these technologies at our in disposal, never being used quite this way, but now forced to test it, because no company would have done this to themselves intentionally. They wouldn't have taken the risk. But now that we know it works, we're not going back to the old way. There's going to be some marginal uh, reduction in costs in many areas, efficiencies that are driven by technology. And my guess is, in my case, I'm looking to pin 5 to 7% enhancement in free cash flow primarily on the backs of real estate cuts although there will be some supply chain enhancements too, and the use of technologies to work in multiple time zones, digital assistance. I mean, we're just licking our chops at the opportunities to be more productive. And, and I think the market senses America is going to do that. There's a silver lining through this disaster. All of these technology tools are going to enhance productivity in America. And that's why on top of the extra over that the Fed's going to do a stimulus, maybe one or two trillion too much, that ends up in equities. And I think next year could have tremendous PE expansion as rates remain, you know, the lowest in history. And so I, I think it's a very interesting dynamic. I just, I'll, I'll put it this way I wouldn't short this market, I'd be very careful.
0: And also, uh, some people, because uh, they're going to be. Obviously, a number of businesses that are just going to go out of business. They're not going to be able to survive the, the lockdowns and, and things like that. But uh, you, you have other people starting up new businesses through a, uh, through a company like Etsy, where they're just you know, a lot smaller, but they're all sudden uh, reaching a, a much larger market.
2: Well, I, I think business is Darwinian. There are winners and there's losers. And obviously, um, that's going to happen here in my portfolio. I've got some that are going to zero, it's very painful. I don't want to see that happen, but I understand that you know um, there are big shifts, and, and when you have a, t- a massive shift like this, where people say, "Well, uh, I lived you know for four months in in, a, in isolation, using online and and tools to to communicate with my customers directly and buy and sell to them that way," this is a a very interesting time because. A direct relationship with a customer is extremely profitable. And you're, you're gonna see the outcome of this that there's some huge enhancement. Millions of companies, large and small, that have said, I figured out how to talk to you directly, to service you directly, to provide for you directly. Stay with me and let's grow together. And that is a wonderful economy. And I wanna be part of it. And I'm certainly gonna invest that way. But yes, there, there'll be certain businesses that unfortunately And that is the nature of capitalism, and that's a larger discussion. But I am extremely optimistic, and I think the market is catching some of that optimism a million times over as investors make their decisions that next year is going to be extraordinary.
0: Now, you of the uh,
1: job losses and so on. I just want to add a a note of optimism here. The the U.S. really has the most responsive economy in the world and um, basically allows for entrepreneurs to start new businesses, people whose jobs got – wiped out but because they were in hotel or hospitality lodging travel large event space organization movie theaters things like that that are going to perhaps be quite slow to recover some of those people are going to go and invent new things you mentioned etsy so somebody invented a way of selling kind of neat collectible stuff online and it evolved into a more open architecture type way of more people selling through the same channel And Etsy actually happens to be, yes, one of the stocks in OGIG with a revenue growth rate of about 35%. So this company was invented. It's succeeding like many others. And I think the note of optimism is is that the U.S. economy really is uh, incredibly responsive
0: now you, 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 you guys mentioned about biotechs and and pharmaceuticals and a lot of uh, me- medical companies that are all getting together you know, using artificial intelligence. any thoughts of of creating an ETF or something to try to capture those really large growing trends
2: Our thoughts are always looking at new indices and you know, i I eat our own cooking I invest in them. I would say that that this you 've hit on a very interesting theme. I think biotech i think pharmaceutical i think medical supplies are a sector to be bought for the next three years because think about um, pharmaceuticals. It, it went through a tremendous Hillary Clinton type bashing on pricing. Uh, I, I don't mean anything against Hillary. I'm just saying po- politically it was a great place to go beat up the CEOs saying you should provide your drugs for free and why are you trying to make a profit? You're not going to hear that out of anybody for quite a while. <laughs> the companies are going to save our lives and so they're going to have a, a much easier like a salmon swimming downstream for a while, and I think that'll be great for pharma. Biotech is, is the, and it's already responded, but I think it has more to go, is is the new technology. When we had SARS, we didn't have all of these advancements, and I think we've advanced you know, four or five times, which is why you have 100 plus companies developing therapeutics and, and potential vaccines to this and whatever the next challenge is. So, Also, the whole idea of just-in-time medical supplies, that's out the window. It's just-in-case. So all of those supply chains are coming back to North America, including Canada and Mexico, for hazmat, medical supplies, pharmaceutical development, pill, you know, whatever it is, it's going to be home. And that could be slightly inflationary, but it's going to be what people want. They're never going in America ever again to want for a mask or a hazmat or, you know, a therapeutic. And that is going to be great for the sector. So I'm fully weighted healthcare, medical supplies, pharma, and biotech.
1: And hey, Rushi, you mentioned biotech. You know, there, there are, broadly speaking, two categories of biotech. There's biotech independence where they're single product, hopeful startups that might create something and, and also as product get it through the FDA and create a fortune. Yes. And then there's biotech that's embedded within the large pharma companies. And many of them have the resources, technology, etc., to bring product to market quite fast. And we have a ton of those in the ETF OUSA. It is a full, full sector weight to healthcare. So you get not only the biotech aspects of the companies that are in there, you also get the stability and price, power, profitability, dividend stream from all of the existing products they have. So there are two ways to play biotech. One, independent sort of companies are just single product type biotechs. And the other is the large cap pharma that also have biotech departments and successes, and a a lot of them in OUSA. Mm -hmm.
0: And also like even even another trend that we're we're all keeping an eye on is self-driving cars. Yeah, uh, those do you have exposure in any of your ETFs to that? Obviously, like you, you mentioned Google before, they're, they're doing it. But any other kind of uh, ideas on that, some, some of these other kind of moonshot kind of uh, trends that are, are slowly uh, coming into reality? So
1: th- we, we do not have any Uber or Lyft in OGIG. It's actually classic, uh, those are classified as transportation companies. And we're very happy not to have them in OGIG (laughs) if you go take a look at how they've performed. Uh, However, the technology that supports that kind of self-driving car will ultimately end up in OGIG because they're all part of that Internet digital uh, software-as-a-service type of category. So, yes, you get some of it through Google and others. um, But fortunately, none of it in OGIG through the uh, the actual rideshare companies have taken a hit.
2: I have a a funny story about Tesla. Um, Last July, uh, my son, who's an electrical engineer, took an internship with Tesla, and I hated the stock. I just thought it was a joke. It was just a car company trading a stupid valuation. And uh, we were sitting around the table, uh, kitchen table around noon, and a show that I do some work on on CNBC, Halftime Report, was discussing Tesla and it had been downgraded that day by 13%, it was trading at $230. And my son said to me, dad, you should buy some of that. I don't have any money, I can't buy it, but you should. Um, It's not a car company. I said, Trevor, it's a piece of, well, I can't say what I said, but, and he said, no, you don't don't understand it. it. It's not a car company, it's a data technology company. Every mile driven enhances the resolution of the data it has about autonomous driving and I'm going to work there this year, why don't you just buy some shares because I'm going to work there. So I held my nose and I bought a bunch of Tesla that day at 230 bucks. Well, it's my best performing (laughs) stock and I feel I have to pay him a royalty now. (laughs) Sometimes you're just wrong because I was bad-mouthing Tesla on CNBC every week I didn't see what he understood and why he went to work there. And he's working there again this summer. And it, it's, uh, it's remarkable, the outcome of what's occurred there. It really isn't an automotive company. They don't even think of themselves as that. They keep designing technology to make the resolution of the autonomously driven mile better and better and better and better, where every one of those car drives all around the world. So here I am, a bull, uh, having been taught by a 21-year-old what I don't know
0: and and that's one of the biggest things about investing is is knowing when you're wrong being flexible adapting to so, some of the larger trends and really just going with the trend
2: well i feel that way certainly now i'm extremely flexible i look for you know growth you you want to watch what, what's changing and i think ogig caught that in a yes. perfect way and will continue to, to capture it i think ousa is is the core holding for me anyways, because those are companies that have really resilient balance sheets, and everybody in investing is looking for multiple things. There's some core part of your portfolio where you want to you know, know that that's going to provide for you, and it's certainly in a family trust like mine, I need to know there's a certain distribution I can have year in, year out, and that's why I have a conservative portfolio like OUSA. But I, when I want growth, I'm gonna to go to OGIG, and that's where I get it, because that is where the world is going. There's all these different strategies. I've become a huge believer in the ETF market for a couple of reasons. Transparency, I can go look at any ETF and see what's inside it, and liquidity is fantastic for the majority of ETFs, but the one that I love the best as a long-term investor, tax efficiency. There's nothing like an ETF for tax efficiency, because it does the in-kind trade when it rebalances. You don't get the old tax bill I used to get in the mutual funds. I do not own a single mutual fund, and I never will.
0: Now, uh, Kevin, one, one last thing, question here. Uh, you mentioned you, you've invested in 50-plus companies. Any, any other uh, lessons to share with the, the listeners on, on some of the things that you've learned with uh, a lot of these companies that are just really trying to adapt to some of these potential micro-trends that are going on that could turn into a much larger trends down the line?
2: Yeah, I did learn something during the pandemic over these last, you know, this last quarter really plus, and it'd been really four months. Um, you know, what I learned was that when the poo poo hits the fan, which it has, and I don't care what size company you have, you've got multiple constituencies you have to speak to. Number one, you've got to go direct to your customers and be honest with them about what's happening and ask for their support. It's remarkable how much support we got from our customers, We used to get 2% responses on direct emails. We were getting 14%, 15%, 16%, 17% responses by saying, you know, look, buy two, get one free, help us survive this downturn, all that stuff. It was amazing. These are not new customers. These are existing customers. And the other thing I learned is you have to tell the truth to your employees. You've got to communicate with them every day, even the ones you've furloughed. This this is a time of communicating. If you're you're a good leader in business – you got to you got to speak to people tell them the truth don't bs them that's what they want to know because the confusion particularly in you know march and april was just chaotic yes and and just communicating directly and i saw the same trend with large companies as well we were doing you know daily communications trying to figure out the ppp working together to solve for it. And in some cases, unfortunately, there's going to be some companies that aren't going to make it. And that is the Darwinian nature that we discussed earlier. Yep. There's a, a, a huge change occurring in America towards a more digital economy. And you have to try as an investor to capture some of that because it's been accelerated by probably three to four years. It's a remarkable outcome, but it has a silver lining in, in productivity in my belief.
0: Well, that, that's a perfect way to end this podcast. And there are a number of ideas that are worth considering for our listeners. And of course, if you want to grab a basket of these great growth stocks, definitely take a look at O'Shares Internet and e-commerce ETF. The symbol is OGIG. Connor and Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Thank really you. Important.
0: Next week, we will have Mike Webster returning to the show. He's the head of market strategy at IBD. So that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arush Chapiris, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nielsen Charts, make sure to go to investors.com podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.